Hey guys, welcome to Dark Vale. We're your hosts, John and Tori. Dark Vale is a podcast that discusses the darker side of life. We are not professionals on any of the topics we discuss. We do as much research as we can, and we do try to be as accurate as possible. However, no one is perfect, and neither are we. Because we're discussing the darker side of things, this podcast is best listened to by a mature audience. So sit back and get ready to podcast and chill! guys and welcome to Dark Vale. My name is Tori. And my name is John. So today, kind of a really good gruesome serial killer life of story. Um, fitting for Halloween. Yeah. Um, it's a really long uh, story, so this is going to be a two-part one. And at the end of the first part, we're going to have the kind of the, the ghost stories that were sent to us and strange happenings from a few of our listeners. We're going to read them. Yeah, because of the Halloween theme. Yeah, exactly. So this one is uh, this serial killer is one that everybody, I would say, for the most part, has heard about. Um, Jeffrey Dahmer. His full name is Jeffrey Lionel Dahmer. He's also known as the Milwaukee Cannibal and the Milwaukee Monster. Um, he was an American serial killer and sex offender who committed the murder and dismemberment of 17 men and boys from 1978 to 1991. Uh, many of his murders involved necrophilia, cannibalism, and the permanent preservation of body parts. Um, and some of those were all or part of the skeleton. Yikes. Yeah. Uh, it was really interesting to do this one because I knew, like, the basic stuff I think a lot of people know about Jeffrey Dahmer, the the cannibalism and the necrophilia, but not actually the, the big dive into how he lured these people here, what he did to them. It was very interesting. <clears throat> Although he was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, schizotypal personality disorder, and a psychotic disorder, Dahmer was found to be legally sane at his trial. He was convicted of 15 of the 16 murders he had committed in Wisconsin and was sentenced to 15 terms of life imprisonment on February 15, 1992. <clears throat> Dahmer was later sentenced to a 16th term of life imprisonment for an additional homicide committed in, in Ohio in 1978. 
Jeffrey Dahmer was born on May 21, 1960, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He was the first of two sons of Joyce Annette, a teletype machine instructor, and Lionel Herbert Dahmer, a Marquette University chemistry student. <clears throat> Excuse me. It was claimed that Dahmer had been deprived of attention as a child. However, other sources claim that Jeffrey was generally doted upon as an infant and toddler by both parents. Jeffrey's mother was known to be very greedy for attention and pity, as well as argumentative. When Jeffrey entered first grade, his mother began to spend a lot of time in bed recovering from weakness. With Jeffrey's dad being away from home a lot due to his studies, when he was home, uh, Jeffrey's mother, a hypochondriac who suffered from depression, demanded constant attention. She even attempted suicide once with a drug called Equinil. It's a minor tranquilizer. <clears throat> In turn, neither parent paid much attention to their son. Dahmer had been regarded as an energetic and happy child, but after double hernia surgery before his fourth birthday, uh, became quite uh, quiet and inhibited. Jeffrey recalled intense tension and arguments between his parents in his younger years. In his early grade school years, a teacher once said she sensed he felt neglected because of his mother's illness. In grade school, though, Jeffrey did have a number of friends. Early in Jeffrey's childhood, he showed a questionable interest in dead animals. He started out with collecting large insects like dragonflies and butterflies in jars. This, I'd say, is common with most children, right? At least boys. I know when I was young, I was collecting bugs. I found it really interesting. I didn't really collect bugs, but yeah, it's common. Yeah. Yeah. Um, however, that's where the commonality stops. Later, Jeffrey began collecting dead animal carcasses from the roadside. Sometimes he'd even be accompanied by a friend or two. Jeffrey would collect these animals, uh, these animal carcasses and bring them home or to the nearby forest and dismember them. He would then store the animal parts in jars in the family shed, saying he was curious how the animals fitted together. Oh, that is um, crazy. Yeah, that's that's a weird one for sure, especially for uh, a young kid. Um. Jeffrey once decapitated the carcass of a dog before nailing the body to a tree and impaling the skull on a stake beside a wooden cross in the woods near his house. There is a claim that his interest with dead animals came from a time he watched his father remove the bones of a dead animal from under the home. According to Jeffrey's father, Lionel, Jeffrey was oddly thrilled by the sound the bones made and became preoccupied with animal bones. He would repeatedly search under and around his family home for more animal bones. <clears throat> Excuse me. He would also explore the bodies of live animals to discover where their bones were located. Um, I think it's interesting. It says his interest with dead animals possibly 
came from the time his father pulled those bones out. Yeah. Uh, maybe it activated something in him, but I think just seeing that happen and watching it isn't what's bringing the interest. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Like regular people could see that happening and not become obsessed with that. Like, Oh, yeah. When I was, I would have been younger than 12 years old, um, a neighbor that lived on our block had this weird like horrible smell coming from underneath of their steps yeah. outside and it's one of those like those big cement slab stairs basically like it just gets it's preformed it gets mounted to a oh, house oh yeah um there you could see where it was kind of like dug as if something had dug its way underneath of it and it must have got stuck in there and died. And I looked through the hole and I kind of dug the hole a little bigger and I could see something in there. And I used a stick and I pulled out a very, very decomposed and leathery uh, dead cat. Oh. And that's exactly what that smell was, obviously. But... Um, I helped them get it out, and then we just took it to the forest and put it in the forest. And and that I had no interest in wondering how it was all connected and maybe taking a piece home and putting yeah, it in in a jar. Yeah, taking it apart and then <clears throat> going home and checking out how my dog's bones fit together. Yeah, yeah. It it brought no interest in that. <clears throat> Um, the family moved around for a bit for a few years and Jeffrey's father acquired his degree and began working as an analytical chemist. By 1968, the Dahmer family settled into a home in Bath Township, Ohio. During a family dinner in 1970, Jeffrey asked his father what would happen if the chicken bones were put into bleach. Jeffrey's father was pleased by his curiosity and showed Jeffrey to how to safely bleach and preserve bones. Jeffrey incorporated these techniques into his bone collecting. And when I read that, I was like, why would a dad show that? But then I was like, oh, he's a chemist, though. Yeah. He thinks his son is just being interested in that and not that there might actually be a more sinister thought behind it yeah during during Dahmer's freshman year in high school he was seen as an outcast Jeffrey began drinking beer and hard liquor and told his classmates that it was his medicine Jeffrey was largely seen as uncommunicative in his freshman year of high school but he was seen by teachers as polite and highly intelligent, but with average grades. He was also a good tennis player and even played briefly in the high school band. Once Dahmer reached puberty, he realized he was gay. He kept this from his friends and family, but in his early teens had a brief relationship with another teenage boy. Dahmer began to fantasize about dominating and controlling a completely submissive partner. 
his fantasies began to intertwine with thoughts of dissection. At 16, Dahmer conceived a fantasy of knocking out a particular jogger he found attractive and then having his way sexually uh, with the unconscious body. Dahmer even hid in the bushes with a baseball bat along the path the jogger would take. But that particular day, the jogger did not appear. Dahmer said this was his first attempt to attack someone. Although Dahmer was regarded as a loner and an oddball, he was something of a class clown, often staging pranks, which became known as doing a Dahmer. His pranks included faking epileptic seizures or cerebral palsy at school and local stores. By 1977, Jeffrey's grades had begun to decline. His parents hired a tutor to help him and had limited success with that. That same year, Jeffrey's father discovered that his mother had had a brief affair. Both parents decided to divorce and told their sons that they had planned to be amicable about it. Lionel, Jeffrey's father, moved out of the family home in early 1978. Dahmer graduated from high school in May 1978, a few weeks before graduation. Jeffrey was observed drinking several beers close to the school parking lot. The teacher threatened to report him, but Dahmer told the teacher that he was experiencing a lot of problems at home, and the school guidance counselor was aware of them. That spring, Jeffrey's mother and brother moved out of their family home to live with relatives. Dahmer, who had just turned 18, remained in the family home alone. So I think it's interesting to note that there's the basically the trifecta, right? The, the well, the McDonald triad. Yeah. And that's cruelty to animals, starting things on fire and bedwetting. Yeah, wetting the bed regularly like past a certain age kind of thing. Yeah, which is supposed to be the predictor, possibly a predictor for violence and serial killer type activity yeah um although i feel like they have kind of ruled that out as some sort of like uh real actual indicator but i think they look for that pattern as well yeah right yeah that makes sense for sure he doesn't I, seem to fit it no and that's that's what i kind of find interesting because his his cruelty to animals seems to be dead ones and like a particular interest in in the dead ones yeah um um so three weeks after Dahmer's graduation he committed his first murder on june 8th 1978 jeffrey Dahmer picked up a hitchhiker 19 year old stephen mark hicks Dahmer lured the young man to his house with the offer of drinking alcohol uh, sorry, uh, just drinking together. It was alcohol, though. Um, Stephen Mark Hicks was hitchhiking to a rock concert in Chippewa Lake Park, and he agreed to go to Dahmer's house. According to Dahmer, after several hours drinking and listening to music, Hicks wanted to leave. Uh, so this is Jeffrey Dahmer's actual words. Uh, Hicks 
wanted to leave and I didn't want him to. In response, Jeffrey decided to strike Hicks twice with a 10-pound dumbbell from behind while he sat in a chair. When Hicks fell unconscious, Dahmer strangled him to death with the bar of the dumbbell, then stripped the clothes from Hicks' body before masturbating as he stood above the corpse. Oh. So that fuels right into his interest in death. Yeah. And also when he was saying he was having fantasies of... Um, like basically taking advantage of an unconscious body sexually. Yep. <clears throat> the next day, Dahmer dissected Hicks' body in the basement before trying, before trying, before burying the remains in a shallow grave in his backyard. Several weeks later, Jeffrey dug up the remains and removed the flesh from the bones dissolved the flesh in acid, and flushed the liquid mix of flesh and acid down the toilet. He then proceeded to crush the bones with a sledgehammer and scatter them in the woodland area behind the family home. Um, I just want to point out that this appears to be his first real crime of any sort, right? Yeah. Well, besides what he's doing to dead animals, because I feel like that's a crime too. It's like indignity to a body, basically, yeah. right? But the first real time he's committing something against a human and he goes all the way with that. Like he, you know, you often hear of stories about how maybe someone's first crime is, um, attempting to kidnap somebody or something, uh, far more fatal or far less fatal. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, far less fatal, but he, Kills somebody, does some sexual things, and dismembers, and he's all he's going for all of it from the very first yeah, go he at it. Took it to the full extreme without because exactly what you're saying. I think it's fairly common with a lot of serial killers that there's a little bit of trial and error, and they kind of work their way up to things. Yeah, but they don't go just straight into murder dissection um yeah and the extent that he went to get a get rid of the the body yeah um i think it fits in a bit with the fact that his uh father was a chemist to know that acid would be a great thing to dissolve the flesh with um that probably i would think would soften the bones yeah. And and that uh, so it it seemed fairly methodic like it was like he kind of maybe had it planned out like he wasn't just winging it. Yeah. Um I just want to point out that like it says that he dug the body up weeks after he buried him, several weeks after and removed the flesh from the bones. I just want to point out like that's brutal. Like, oh, yeah. Could you imagine the way it would look, the smell, the act of actually removing it? Like, that? that's brutal. Oh, yeah. 100%. Um, that shows some real um, 
dedication to him, what he's doing. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> Dahmer had a brief stint at Ohio State Uni University, six months after his first murder. He received failing grades in Introduction to Anthropology, Classical Civilizations, and Administrative Science. He was only seen successful in riflery, obtaining a B- grade. He achieved a 0 0.45 GPA, which is very low. Yeah, because 4.0 is perfect. Yeah. Um, Dahmer dropped out of university ju after just three months. Upon his father's urging, Jeffrey joined the United States Army. He trained as a medical specialist. On July 13, 1979, Dahmer was stationed in Baumholder, West Germany, where he served as a combat specialist. According to published records, Dahmer was considered an average to above average soldier. In March 1981, largely due to Jeffrey's alcohol abuse, he was deemed unsuitable for military service and was later discharged from the army. He received an honorable discharge as his superiors did not believe that any problems Dahmer had in the army would be applicable to civilian life. In the time he served in the military, two soldiers told stories of how Dahmer raped them. One stated in 2010 that Dahmer had repeatedly raped him over a 17-month period while stationed in Germany. Another believes he was drugged and raped inside an armored personnel carrier in 1979. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah. That is horrible. And as we progress through the story, you'll see uh, Dahmer has some very common MOs. Like, he's very repetitive. He's a creature of habit? Or yeah. Yeah. Like, he's... It's like he developed a way that worked good for him, and he just kept it. Mm, yes. Um... Eventually Dahmer, uh, Dahmer, Eventually, Dahmer relocated to Ohio and initially lived with his father and stepmother. He insisted they delegate numerous chores to occupy his time while he looked for employment. Dahmer continued to drink heavily and was arrested for drunken disorderly conduct. He was given a fine and a suspended 10-day jail sentence. Dahmer's father tried, without success... To get Jeffrey off alcohol, and he was eventually sent to live with his grandmother. Dahmer's grandmother was the only fa family member to whom he displayed any affection. So, initially, Dahmer's living arrangements with his grandmother were har harmonious. He accompanied her to church, willingly undertook chores. Oh, really quick, speaking of which, I... Found it interesting when I read that um, Je Jeffrey Dahmer wanted his father and his stepmother, like he insisted that they give him numerous chores to occupy his time while he was looking for employment, like something to keep him busy. Oh, yeah. Because he probably realized the monster inside of him was going to do something. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what I was thinking, like too. Like, idle hands are the devil's playground? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
Anyway, um, but yeah, so um, he willingly undertook chores and actively sought work and abided by most of his grandmother's house rules, although he did continue to drink and smoke. I think at this point it's been a couple years-ish since he murdered someone. Um, no. Yeah. I Well, yeah, like, I, I guess, yeah, a year and a half. You're right. Um, so maybe he was trying to not do it again? That could be. Um, or he was just able to calm his urges down for a little bit being preoccupied. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it says too here the his, like this new influence in his life initially brought results. And in early 1982, uh, Dahmer even found employment as a phlebotomist which is basically the person that draws blood or gives gives you an intravenous. Yeah. Um, at the Milwaukee Blood Plasma Center. Yeah, so nurses do that too, but phlebotomists yeah. are, they specialize in taking blood, basically. Yeah, that, but, that would be yeah. their specialty. Um, they're, they're not nurses necessarily, though. Yeah, they're Sorry. just specifically trained in that yes. one thing. Yeah. Uh, he held this job for a total of 10 months before being laid off. Dahmer remained unemployed for over two years, during which he lived upon whatever money his grandmother gave him. Dahmer was, was arrested in August 1982, just before losing his job for exposing himself to a crowd of 25 women and children. He received a $50 fine plus court costs. That is odd to me because Jeffrey Dahmer is gay. Yeah, I thought that stood out a lot too. The fact that it's it's more disturbing because there was children there, but the fact that there was a bunch of women, yeah, and and that just seemed really weird. Interesting. So maybe that also um, just reinforces the idea that he had uncontrollable thoughts to do things. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And by uncontrollable, I don't mean he has no responsibility in it. I just mean maybe interfering thoughts. Yeah, yeah. Because he definitely still had a choice. Yeah, 100% agree. In January 1985, Dahmer got a job as a mixer at a Milwaukee chocolate factory. Shortly after finding this job, an incident occurred where a fellow employee propositioned Jeffrey to perform fellatio on him. Dahmer didn't respond to the offer. However, the incident stirred thoughts and fantasies of control and dominance he had developed as a teenager and began to f familiarize himself with the local gay bars, uh, the gay bathhouses, and the bookstores. He is also known to have stolen a male mannequin from a store, which he briefly used for sexual stimulation until his grandmother discovered the item stowed in a closet and demanded it uh, be discarded of. In 1980... Okay, so really quick. The, the mannequin thing, I watched... So we've seen that thing about the 
one of the Jeffrey Doc uh, Jeffrey Dahmer documentaries we haven't actually seen yet, and I think I showed it to you anyway. The trailer for it, maybe not. Um, okay, anyway, I watched the trailer for it, and it's got like a lot of the investigators that were involved um, with Jeffrey Dahmer and this and that. But one of the things they said was that he hid himself in a department store overnight and that's how he stole the mannequin because he couldn't just steal it and walk out of the store in broad daylight right but he also one of the reasons he stole that mannequin is because he was acting out his fantasies excuse me on this mannequin as opposed to actual men yeah and i don't know if that was without watching this documentary uh, i'm not sure but if that was just maybe a, a means of him trying to suppress his urges by using a mannequin, because then he had he could fulfill his fantasy of domination and control over an inanimate object. Or if that just wasn't good enough, it worked for a bit. Yeah. Especially but, since his grandma made him get rid of it. Yeah. Right? Um, however, I still feel like because he'd already murdered someone and knew what that felt like i feel like the mannequin wouldn't have really done much to suppress his urge to really do it yeah it would be a time limited thing yeah like it would only work for so long in 1985 Dahmer began to frequent the bathhouses describing them as relaxing places but during his sexual encounters, he became frustrated at his partner's moving during the sexual act. Following his arrest, he stated, I train myself to view people as objects of pleasure instead of as people. So he trained himself to disassociate the humanity of humans, basically. Yeah. Like they were just an object to him. That's interesting to me, the way that's worded. Because often... Um, viewing people as objects is a very narcissistic thing, right? Yep. Except for, you generally don't have to work at being narcissistic. You don't have to work at, at, um, viewing people as objects. It actually should come naturally. Yeah. In that, if that's actually what's really happening. So I find that interesting that <clears throat> something in him made him actually make a conscious choice to train himself to view people as objects that's interesting yeah that is a really good point that you make there <clears throat> i agree for this reason beginning in june 1986 he administered sleeping pills to his partners giving them liquor laced with the sedatives then raping their unconscious bodies after approximately 12 such instances, the bathhouse's administration revoked Dahmer's membership and he began to use hotel rooms to continue his practice. Shortly after this, Dahmer read a news report of an upcoming funeral of an 18-year-old male and conceived the idea of digging up the fresh corpse and taking it home. He attempted to dig it up after the funeral but found the soil to be too hard. In August 1986, Dahmer was arrested for masturbating in front of two 12-year-old boys as he stood close to the 
Kinect. I had troubles pronouncing this when I was reading it too. Um, Kinect Kinect River. He initially admitted the offense and was again charged with indecent exposure, but quickly changed his story and claimed that he had merely been urinating, unaware that there were witnesses. The charge was changed from changed to disorderly conduct, and on March 10th, 1987, Dahmer was sentenced to one year of probation with additional instructions he was to undergo counseling. So he kind of talked his way out of that one. Um, on November 20th, 1987, while living at his grandmother's, Dahmer met 25-year-old uh, Stephen Toomey from Ontonagon, Michigan at a bar and convinced him to come to the Ambassador Hotel where Jeffrey had rented a room. Dahmer had no intention of murdering the man, but planned to drug and rape the 25-year-old. However, the next morning awoke... The <clears throat> However, the next morning he awoke to find the man laying under him with his chest, in quotations, crushed in and black and blue with bruises. There was also blood running from the corner of his mouth. Dahmer's fists and forearms largely bruised. Dahmer stated he had no memory of killing 25-year-old of the 25-year-old and would later tell investigators that he in quotations could not believe this happened. So that's kind of crazy. Now and I wonder if he just drank himself into a stupor and blacked out kind of thing. You know how you party a little too much and you wake up with no memory of how you got back into your bed kind of thing? Yeah, exactly. Um, I feel like that's probably the most likely answer. And I, I feel like he's actually telling the truth when he says that too. Yeah. Um, because obviously he admits in great detail to... The things he does after he's caught, right? So Yeah, exactly. Saying that part is true, I'm guessing. Um, and it is likely because of substance abuse. Yep. That's crazy, though, because, um, like you just said, like <clears throat> people black out. They don't remember stuff when they drink too much. Um, nobody I know, nor myself, has it ever been my go-to to violently harm somebody under the heavy influence of something. So I, I think that actually just circles back to this man's mindset. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Jeffrey bought a large suitcase and put the body of the man into it and took it to his grandmother's place. The body sat for a week before Dahmer severed the head, arms, and legs from the torso. He then removed the flesh from the man's bones cutting it into manageable pieces. He placed the flesh into garbage bags and wrapped the bones in a sheet before splintering the bones into small bits with a sledgehammer. It was a two-hour process. It was a two-hour process to complete and dispose of the remains of Stephen. <clears throat> Excuse me. Dahmer disposed of the remains in the trash, excluding the head. Dahmer kept the head of the man wrapped in a blanket for two weeks before boiling the head in a mixture of Soylex. And Soylex is just an alkali-based industrial detergent. 
and bleach with the intent of preserving the skull to use as stimulus for masturbation. The bleaching process caused the skull to be brittle and Dahmer pulverized it and disposed of it. A couple months after the murder of Stephen, Dahmer met a 14-year-old male prostitute named James Dockstetter. Dahmer got the youth to agree to come to his home with an offer of $50 to pose nude for pictures. Once there, the two engaged in sexual activities before Jeffrey drugged the youth and strangled him to death. Dahmer left the body in the cellar for an entire week before uh, dismembering the body in the same manner as Stevens. He disposed of the remains in the trash again and retained the skull to boil and bleach for preservation before later pulverizing it as well. Brutal. Yeah, and on top of it, he took a very young child, a 14-year-old. Yeah. Yeah, it it's crazy because it's not absolutely just to adult males. Like yeah. he he doesn't really seem to care. Then on March 24th, 1988. So it's been like a decade since he started killing people. Yeah. Yeah, because he started his, he did his first murder in June of 1978. And then he put pretty much nine years between that first murder and his second murder, which was in 1987, Stephen Toomey. Yeah. So yeah, he he put a hell of a distance, like uh, years between his first and second murder. But he was still raping people and committing violence in between so oh yeah for sure and he had some definite uh lewd acts um yeah so yeah then on march 24th 1988 Dahmer met 22 year old bisexual male richard guerrero outside a gay bar called the phoenix Dahmer was able to convince the man to come to his grandmother's home however it was just to spend the remainder of the night with him. Once at Dahmer's grandmother's home, he drugged the 22-year-old with sleeping pills and strangled him with a leather strap. He later performed oral sex on the corpse. This time, Dahmer dismembered and disposed of the body within 24 hours. He used much the same process as the previous murders and again retained the skull before destroying it several months later. It's interesting to me, and maybe it's because he was at his grandmother's. Uh, no, he was at his grandmother's house for Stephen Toomey as well. It's just I I found it interesting that he really put some time, um, before disposing of the body, um, at his grandmother's house the first time, but this time he got rid of it within twenty four hours. Yeah. Um. On April 23rd, one month later, Dahmer lured another man to his grandmother's place. However, after giving the man a drugged coffee, both men heard Dahmer's grandmother call out, Is that you, Jeff? Dahmer replied in a way 
to make his grandmother think he was alone, but she had seen that he was not alone, and Dahmer decided not to kill this man. Instead, he waited for the man to fall unconscious and took the man to the county general hospital. In September 1988, Dahmer's grandmother asked him to move out after repeatedly bringing young men to her house late at night and foul smells coming from the basement and garage. Dahmer found a one-bedroom apartment and moved in on September 25th. Um, I just want to point out, so... The foul smells. Yep. I'm guessing our bodies, right? Yep. And I've never smelt a decaying corpse like that before, right? Yeah. Um, but I have smelled animals. And from what I've read and heard, the smell is undeniably different than anything most people have ever smelt. So I'm wondering, like... Grandma's got to have some suspicions, uh, or is she just old and, you know, you lose your senses a little bit, and I don't know, like, that smell, though. It's a very dis distinct smell. I have smelt dead decaying animals. Yeah. Excuse me. I know what a dead decaying human smells like, and neither one of them are far from each other, and you pretty much know exactly what it is when you first smell it. That's what I've heard. Like, yeah. I've heard people say, like, oh, you know what the smell is when you smell it, right? Yeah. Even if you don't have much experience, like, you're like, this is unlike anything. Yeah. Um. So, if you're asking somebody to move out because they have odd behavior and there's really foul smells going along with it, call the police. Yeah. Yep. Ugh. I agree. There's And I'm not I'm not in any way shaming the grandma cuz no. she obviously had nothing to do with it. It's not like she was helping him cover it up. You know, there's no real there's no shame going towards that. There's yeah. no judgment, but I'm hoping if I'm ever in a situation like that, my instinct is to say, "You know what? I'd rather be wrong." Yeah. But I'm going to call someone. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so he found a, he found a one bedroom apartment and moved in on September 25th. The very next day, Dahmer was arrested for drugging and molesting a 13 year old boy. He lured there with the offer of $50 to pose nude for photos. By January, 1989, Jeffrey was convicted of second degree sexual assault and of enticing a child for immoral purposes. Sentencing for the assault was suspended until May 1989. On March 20th, Dahmer commenced a 10-day Easter absence from work, during which he moved back into his grandmother's home. Oh, he wasn't gone for very many months. No. Hmm. Two months after his conviction, and two months prior to his sentencing, for the sexual assault, Dahmer murdered his fifth victim, a 25-year-old male named Anthony Sears, who he met at a gay bar on March 25, 1989. According to Dahmer, he was not intending to commit a crime on this visit to the gay bar. He said shortly before closing time at the bar, Anthony Sears, now this is in 
Dahmer's own words, uh, Anthony Sears just started talking to me. So Dahmer lured him to his grandmother's house once again. They had oral sex on each other uh, before Dahmer drugged and strangled the man. The next morning, Dahmer used his grandmother's bathtub to decapitate the corpse and strip the flesh from the bones. He crushed the bones and disposed of the remains in the trash again. Dahmer said he found Anthony Sears, so in his own words, exceptionally attractive. Sears was the first victim that Dahmer permanently retained any body parts. He kept and preserved the skull and genitals in acetone and stored them in his work locker. The following year, Dahmer moved from his grandmother's house to a new address. Oh, I've got a few things to say about that. <laughs> so he's really escalated because his grandma had already kicked him out once for bringing people home and odd smells. He's gone for a bit, but he comes back and he's just blatantly using her bath. Like kills somebody like five days later, I think is what I was figuring out there while you were reading that. Like he moved back in, um, in March, he moved back in and on the 20th, he started a 10 day absence from work. Yep. He moved back in with his grandma and what day was it? March 25th, five days yep. after he moved back in, he's already dismembering someone in his grandma's bathtub and he's permanently storing some body parts now. Yeah. Like he's really escalating. Yeah, exactly. And this particular one, like the fact that he, he was so, um, what would the word be? Uh, not blatant, but he, he just like the disregard for his grandma. Like he used, Nonchalant. yeah. Like he just used her bathtub to do that in. Yeah. And well, he's storing body parts at work too. That's yeah, pretty blatant of him as well there. Absolutely. And very obsessive to have them with you. Yeah. <clears throat> On May 23rd. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because he moved from his grandmother's house. He's at a new address now. On May 23rd, 1989, Dahmer was sentenced to five years probation and one year in the House of Correction with work release permitted in order to keep his job. That must have been from the 13-year-old's assault. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what that was from. Uh, he was also registered as a sex offender. Two months before his scheduled release, he was paroled. He started a five-year probation. Upon his release, Dahmer briefly moved back into his grandmother's place before finding his own apartment again in 1990. On May 14, 1990, Dahmer moved out of his grandmother's house and into 924 North 25th Street, apartment 213, taking Sears' mummified head and genitals with him. So he still has them. Um, within one week of his moving into this new apartment, Dahmer had killed his sixth victim, Raymond Smith. Smith was a 32-year-old male prostitute whom Dahmer lured to the apartment with the promise of $50 for sex. Inside the apartment, he gave Smith a drink laced with seven sleeping pills and manually strangled him. The following day, Dahmer purchased a Polaroid camera with which he took several pictures 
of Smith's body in suggestive positions before dismembering him in the bathroom. He boiled the legs, arms, and pelvis in a steel kettle with Soilex, which allowed him to then rinse the bones in the sink. Dahmer dissolved the remainder of Smith's skeleton, including the skull, in a container oh, filled with acid. Sorry, honey, that says excluding the skull. Oh, sorry, yeah, excluding the skull uh, in a container filled with acid. He later spray-painted Smith's skull, which he placed alongside the skull of Spears, of Sphere. Sears. Sears. Uh, which he placed alongside the skull of Sears upon a black towel inside a metal filing cabinet. Approximately one week after the murder of Smith, on or about May 27th, Dahmer lured another young man to his apartment. On this occasion, however, Dahmer himself accidentally consumed the drink laden with sedatives intended for consumption by his guest. When he awoke the following day, he discovered his intended victim had stolen several items of his clothing, $300 and a watch. Dahmer never reported this incident to police, although on May 29th, he divulged to his probation officer that he had been robbed. Um, if some dude is rifling through his house, right, while he's passed out, how he didn't find, how didn't he find any weird body parts, any strange Polaroids? Like, if I was the dude, maybe he did. Maybe the robber did, but he was like, oh no, because then I have to admit. I was in his house and I was robbing stuff and I don't want to get into it. Yeah. Maybe he just didn't say anything. But I feel like most people are, are going to stumble across something when they have free reign in Jeffrey Dahmer's house. Oh, yeah, for sure. And while I was writing this, I had that exact same thought. And how did this guy not see anything? And then I started thinking the same thing. Like, maybe he did. Maybe he found some really crazy shit and was just like, oh, man, this guy is a psychopath. I'm grabbing what I can. I'm getting out of here. Doesn't want to have anything to do with the police because he's a breaking, criminal on his own. Yeah, right? breaking the law as well. And, and that, but literally the the murder before this one um they talked about how he preserved the skull he spray painted it and he placed it alongside the other skull of sears yeah on a black towel inside a metal filing cabinet now either this guy just took what he could really quick and got out of there yeah or he did see some crazy shit and just I don't know, said nothing about it. Yeah. Um, so this is going to be pretty much where we're going to... I'm going to do uh, one more of his murders here, and then we're going to wrap it up with um, Dahmer for part one. And then we'll go into our uh, Halloween stories from our listeners. Yeah. So in June 1990... Dahmer lured a 27-year-old acquaintance named Edward Smith to his apartment. He drugged and strangled Smith. On this occasion, rather than immediately acidifying the skeleton or repeating previous processes of bleaching, 
which had rendered previous victims' skulls brittle, Dahmer placed Smith's skeleton in his freezer for several months in the hope it would not retain moisture. Freezing the skeleton did not remove moisture, and the skeleton of the victim would be acidified several months later. Dahmer accidentally destroyed the skull when he placed it in the oven to dry, a process that caused the skull to explode. Oh my god. Yeah. Um, Dahmer himself was to later inform police he had felt rotten. So that's, that's Dahmer's words. He felt rotten about Smith's murder as he had been unable to retain any part of his body. That's what upset him. That he had no trophies. Yeah. That's real sick. Yeah, it is. And I was really surprised to read that the skull exploded. But I guess it kind of makes sense too because I don't know how long it would take the brain to decompose inside the skull. Yeah. But if you put it in an oven and you ended up basically boiling it and there's no pressure release... It makes sense that it would just burst. Yeah. But. That's. Gruesome. A real sick thought. Wow. (laughs) But yeah. So that's where we're going to leave it with Dahmer for uh, this episode, guys. Um, So tune in next Monday for the conclusion. Um, It is a really, really crazy story. Um, Everything that he did and the amount of murders and we'll do a little recap next week too and and yeah so i hope you guys have been enjoying it this was a very interesting one to research and yeah we'll get started on our stories from listeners all right so we asked Listeners on our Facebook page um, and on our personal Facebook pages uh, to send us in some spooky typed stories in the theme of, you know, in the name of Halloween, really. Yeah. Um, that we were going to read on our episode. So this is what we're doing. Yeah. So our first one comes from... A fellow named Ryan. And he says, Something spooky in your own backyard. I went to Red Deer a few months ago for a repair in this crazy house we did. Her house is at the top of a hill and looks over the park. I have to walk down the hill, walk through the park, and then climb through this thick brush to get to the rear of her house where I was fixing it. When I got to the location, I looked down, and there was a set of women's clothes laid out there. Like, laid out so perfectly. It was the weirdest spot. There was a t-shirt, and below that was a skirt that had the most perfect two-inch space between that and the shirt. On the left side was a purse, right where a hand would be, and two long socks laid out below the skirt, exactly where their feet would be. Weird thing is the location. I know there are transients there, but to get to this spot is a vicious hike through super thick brush. 
The clothes were placed there so perfectly. It's eerie. It rattled me up for months now, and I just can't seem to understand why, how, or who would do that. If clothes were wet, why would you not hang them? Why such perfect position and care in laying them there like that? Yeah. That... I agree. That would be a really strange and eerie thing to come across. Yeah, I've thought about that story a few times yep. since we got sent that. And that is really strange. Like, ugh, what happened there? <laughs> yeah. I need more info. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's, it's, it's especially weird... Like you said, like the location of it, to, yeah. to be through such thick brush and this and that, and then just find uh, an outfit laid out perfectly as if somebody had been wearing it and just disappeared out of their clothes. Or somebody's getting a perfect outfit ready for somebody else. Like, it's still weird. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or somebody has come back and set it out as a memorial. Like, there's so many... There's so many explanations and none at all. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, that is that was a really good one. Yeah. And definitely eerie. So th <laughs> thanks to Ryan for that one. Yeah. All right, so this one is from another listener. Uh, his name is Dean. And this also references Red Deer. And I just want to point out that Red Deer is... Um, a city of about 120,000 people, I would say, at this point. Yeah, probably right around there. Maybe a bit less. Yeah. It's over the 100,000 mark, though. Yeah. And it's 10 minutes from where we live. Yeah. It's kind of our major city in Alberta. Well, not in Alberta. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, but for us, though. It's located in Alberta. It's about 10 minutes away from us. Yeah. It's our personal big major Hub. city that we go to <laughs> yes <clears throat> all right so he writes for a short time growing up in red deer i lived in a row house in southwood park um it was typical three bedrooms upstairs with the family room and kitchen on the main level i was in my teens at the time i would say probably 16 ish there was this broom closet at the foot of the stairs that led to the bedrooms. I was absolutely terrified of it. Every time I went up the stairs at night, I felt something watching me. I would get goosebumps and chills and run upstairs as fast as I could while picturing long bony arms reaching for me. Fast forward to the day we moved out. I was telling my dad about my irrational fear of the closet when he confirmed that not only did he get the same feeling from it, he also had dreams about it. In, in his dreams, he would have a terrible fall down the stairs into the closet. Then arms would spring out of the darkness and envelope him, holding him inside the closet covering his mouth, pinning his arms back as the closet door slowly, deliberately slung, swung shut. And that's the story. That's crazy. That yes. is super creepy. Um, the fact that two of them both had the same, like, feelings about it and had never talked about it. Yeah. Two, and then it all, like, lines up at the end. Yeah. 
Um, for me, I'd be happy. We had that discussion the day we were moving. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like there'd be this like good feeling of vindication, like or validation rather. Um, yeah. That you're not the only one that's feeling it, but then this also absolute terror that you're not the only one that's feeling this, and your dad has been having the same feelings, has actually been having nightmares about that closet, that would be enough fuel for me to never open that closet again. Oh, yeah. And on top of it, it gives extra validation because what dads are, like, saying things like that ever, right? Unless it's true. Yeah. Right? Like, that's creepy. Yeah, absolutely. That was a great one. Thank you for that, Dean. Yes. So... Our next one, this is our, our final one here. It comes from Michelle, who's my sister and actually the the one of the hosts of Little Nerdy. Yes. Which we're going to talk about in just a few minutes as well. And she says, Hey guys, I have a couple of spooky things that happened that are different than John's. So... I had mentioned a couple of things that had happened as I was a, when I was a kid that were kind of spooky. Yeah. Um, we lived in a trailer by a graveyard, and I never thought much about it until I was sleeping on the couch one night. I was home alone, and I was probably like 12 or 13, and all of a sudden I woke up when my arm dropped onto my chest. Now, I could have been doing something weird in my sleep, but it creeped me the fuck out. I even accused my brother of playing some prank on me when he got home because it was five minutes after I woke up. And I, so I think, so Michelle, sorry, Michelle had uh, two stories and, and that, so Um, I think it's, it's, it's kind of a creepy story that Michelle has there, but I do know for a fact that I strangely sleep with my arms straight up in the air. Yep. And I have woken up numerous times to my arms crashing back onto my chest. Yeah. I, that's what I thought of immediately when I, when I read that story, because I sleep beside you every night Yeah. and you... (laughs) Do the craziest things in your sleep. (laughs) And I was like, it's probably hereditary. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. It's still creepy though. And honestly, like I could tell a personal scary story about how creepy it is to be sleeping and wake up and watch your boyfriend's zombie arm uh, (laughs) midair for 30 seconds at a time and then like go back to sleep. That's creepy. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It would be weird on the opposite end of that if I was seeing you do that. Yeah. And I'd be like, what the hell is she doing? <laughs> <laughs> um, so Michelle's next story. This, uh, this happened in the same trailer. Um, she says, I was hanging out in my room, just chilling, reading a book. I had just decided to take a break and put the book down when I saw a little boy with black hair and a white shirt... And black pants run past my room toward my brother's room. So I went and looked out my door toward that direction. And the curtain on the window 
was moving like somebody just ran past. That, um, it, so, sorry, that's where she ended it. She mentions about, up, up, <laughs> in this trailer, we had an addition and they added the addition on and the addition covered a window. Oh, so there's a very redundant and pointless window that they just never took out and put wall up instead. Yeah. And sorry. So I, uh, she mentioned about that and I was just skipping past that as I was reading it. Um, but that's what the curtain was covering. And she seen that blowing, like somebody had just ran past it and she said it, uh, freaked me out. I was glad when we moved from there after those experiences. And I, I don't remember, I remember living there. I don't ever remember being creeped out and, and that I actually really enjoyed that trailer, but it was almost kitty corner to a graveyard. Oh, that wasn't, <laughs> that was a, that was a bit creepy. That one. Um, so you never saw a little boy or anything creepy? No, the only thing that was creepy in that trailer was my dad. And the only reason he was creepy is because he loves to fucking jump out and scare people. Oh, It's yeah. one of his favorite things in life. And he got me really good a few times there. And... You follow his footsteps. Yeah, it is it is very fun. You always scratch the bathroom door when I'm in it. <laughs> uh, yeah. I really like that one because it's like the littlest thing that's really loud and reverberates. But then I you scream. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Michelle also makes mention of um, three sleep paralysis. Uh, uh, minor stroke there. Sorry. Mouth um, paralysis. Yeah. Three sleep paralysis experiences. And they have been the worst. I can't open my eyes, so I'm just laying there, panicked, unable to move or open my eyes, and it feels like I'm being pushed down when I try to move. And it feels like I'm being pushed down when I try to move. My punctuation, yeah, like my mouth is adding punctuation that's not there. Sorry. And it feels like I'm being pushed down when I try to move, and I hear creepy shit, although the hearing things could be my anxiety. Anyways... That's, that's her stories. Mm -hmm. Have you had sleep paralysis? I believe I experienced sleep paralysis once ever in my life. And it really is, was the strangest thing. And it was very unsettling. Um, as a kid, I was having a nap on our couch and I, I can't remember if I felt pressure on my chest and this, this, even now I laugh at this, but at the time it was very terrifying, but I felt a crazy crushing pressure on my balls Oh, and I couldn't open my eyes. I couldn't scream. I was aware of my surroundings. Yep. Um, like I could hear the TV. I could hear myself trying to scream and it mostly just sounding like my voice was being um, 
Muted? Well, yeah, muted is what I was going to say too, but it was just air, like, like that. Yeah. And I don't, I can't remember how long it lasted. It wasn't that long. And then it was done. And I don't know, waking up or whatever, and just being absolutely shocked and horrified and <coughs> having no idea what just happened. Was it in that trailer? No, that was oh. in my childhood home in Lower Fairview in Red Deer. Oh, okay. But yeah, it was the, the craziest thing. And it was so mind-boggling to me that I never, I don't think I've actually ever told anybody about it. But yeah, it was very strange. But that's the only time something like that's ever happened to me. How about yourself? Have you ever had a sleep paralysis? I have before, but nothing... Interesting like yours. <laughs> <laughs> just kind of the same old classic thing. Can't move. You're aware. Just that one. Yeah. And, it, and it is scary. I haven't had it in forever though, so. Yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't had mine since I was a kid either. And it was only that one time. But, but yeah. Anyway, that's our our stories from our listeners. And we thank you guys very much for them. Yeah. They were good and creepy. All right. So the only thing we have left is to talk about Little Nerdy. Yeah. But I think this week, instead of talking about them, we're going to let them talk. That sounds like a great idea. All right. So here is the official trailer from Little Nerdy about their podcast. Yeah. Hello, everybody. I'm Michelle. And I'm her co-host, Owen, and this is Little Nerdy. Are you interested in sci-fi? How about fantasy, history, or YouTubers and podcasters? Maybe tabletop games, anime, or video games. Then this is the podcast for you. Each week, we will discuss our opinions, as fans, on another nerdy topic. So tune in weekly for new topics, because no matter what your thing is... At the end of the day, we're all just a little nerdy. Oops, sorry. <laughs> I had a song lined up on Spotify there. Um, but yeah, that's John's sister and her boyfriend's podcast, uh, Little Nerdy. Yep. Check them out. And they also do the Debate Without Hate once a month on a Friday, which is always really good. We're always looking forward to that one. Um, yeah, it's lots of fun. Yeah. And check out their Facebook page as well. Yeah. Hit them up, drop a line, say hey. Exactly. Yeah. So that wraps up today. Next week we'll have part, part <laughs> two of uh, Jeffrey Dahmer. And uh, until then, we'll see you next Monday for some podcast, podcast and chill. chill.